Hello and welcome to episode number 16 of the Technician Academy podcast. This episode is hosted by ASE Master Technician Richard Young and powered by Extend Performance. In this episode, Richard discusses the real problem of the technician shortage and what can be done to remedy the issue with Nick Barton. Nick is a shop owner of 10 years who's very well respected amongst his peers and even guides a local association of repair shop owners. We hope that you enjoy episode number 16 of the Technician Academy podcast powered by Extend Performance. Welcome to today's Technician Academy podcast. We're fortunate enough to have Nick Barton with us today from Barton's Automotive in Wadesville, Indiana. Welcome, Nick. Thanks, Richard. Thanks for having me. I uh, I got to meet you. We were at the same location at a local community college, and they was having a uh, a skills competition for high school students in the automotive industry. Uh, met you there, and uh, kind of kept in touch since then. Yeah, yeah. I was kind of interested in what you were doing, and um really interested in you know whatever we can do to uh, help technicians that are getting into the business or getting into the industry and um, if I can do anything with that then uh, we, we sure need them so I'm always willing to willing participant right now on my drive commute to work I drive by your facility and I want to commend you and I think I've told you before but it's a it's a Great looking facility, clean, uh, seen some of your promotional materials and, and looks like you're doing a great job. So kind of give us a little bit of history and rundown how you got to where you're at. Well, I've always had an interest in anything uh, that had really that had an engine uh, since I can remember. Uh, I started my career professionally, I guess, at a Ford dealership uh, with no experience. Uh, I was fortunate enough to uh, for them to hire me and gain a lot of uh, valuable uh, knowledge there and training. Uh, at the same time, I attended a local community college and got a degree in automotive technology. Um, I also received a lot of training through Ford, uh, both online and in classroom type training. Um, so I was fortunate in that regard too. That they were willing to make an investment in me. Um, after several years there, uh, I went on to start my own shop. Um, I started in just a, a two-bay um, building it was a 40 by 50 building uh, that I rented from my father actually um, and so I guess about a year later I hired my first technician um, and we, we I guess starting out it was a little slower uh, maybe the first several months uh, but it didn't take very long to, to get uh, a steady flow of cars come through the door um, and then after I'd hired my first tech uh, from that point uh, up until just a few years ago, it seemed like we were always a little behind. It was always harder to get the work done uh, than it was to, to find the work. Uh, so we, we quickly outgrew that two-bay shop that we were in. And in 2011, we started uh, construction of a, our, our new building, our current building, which is a nine-bay shop. Um, and it's, it's pretty well been steady growth ever since. Um, we now have four technicians, uh, four full-time Currently looking to add one more. Uh, we have two service advisors and two part-time employees. Uh, one does some towing and um, odd jobs, maintenance, uh, building maintenance, things like that. Um, so it's, it's it's been a good thing for us. I'm really thankful, grateful to, to be able to do what I've done. And um, 
I have a lot of lot of good opportunities to to be able to get to this point. Yeah, uh, you know, and that's one thing I noticed in in my commute to work as I drive by there that you know you you've got a, a tow truck, a flatbed rollback, and uh, and then another thing that in being in the industry as long as I have, you go to shops or you see shops that have a lot of cars sitting around them, and, and your facility does, but. You can tell a busy shop when those cars change, you know, and and that's what I noticed about your facility is, you know, you, you got quite a few cars there and you guys are always working and the bays are full and, and those cars don't set around. I mean, they're getting repaired. They're moving on back to the customer. So, yeah, I mean, and that's the reason why I wanted to get you. One of the reasons why I wanted to get you on this podcast was, is, you know, I, I think you've got a great facility and, and uh, you know, in this industry like you are. Having the shop open for six years now, looks like ten total. Uh, uh, about six in this location, I guess. Or yeah, we we moved in in, in December 2012, so uh, coming up on five. Then in this location, we yeah, got in the in the business for, for ten years here in Wadesville. But yeah, it, it takes a lot of things to uh, a lot of things have to be in place to get vehicles back to the customers in a timely manner, and um, we don't always do it as well as we want to, but. Um, overall, um, you know, I think we do a pretty good job of that. Um, but it's, uh, it's taken, taken many years to, to get to, um, to get the processes in place, get the people in place and, and get everything to kind of come together. It, it, uh, it's not an easy task, but it sure makes it nice whenever, whenever all that does fall in place. Yeah, it definitely adds, adds to the success of the business when those processes, like you said, when those processes fall together and it really starts to flow together. And, and for those listeners that don't know, Wadesville is, I mean, it's not, what is the population there at Wadesville? <laughs> Honestly, I don't even know what the, the population is. Um, it's a, just a rural, a, a really rural area. Um, about 15 minute drive outside west of, of Evansville. Um, but in this area, we have just a lot of smaller, uh, towns or communities. Um, and that's where a lot of our business comes from. Most of our business is within a, probably about a 10 mile radius, uh, which for a shop in the city, that's a, that's a really big area. Um, and, but people out here are used to drive a little further. Uh, there's very limited competition um so we've you know done a pretty good job of establishing a, a pretty good name so um we're able to attract people maybe from a little bit further away um that and just like i said the limited amount of competition it's, it's just a different way of doing it there's uh in a, in a city type atmosphere you have a dense population with a lot of shops all packed in there tight and out here it's just just the opposite so um either way seems to work and I think that there is less about, you know, location is important, uh, but in this business, it's, I think it's a little more unique uh, that there's other things that are more important than just location and, and the convenience to, to the customer, how close that you are to their home. Yeah, and that goes back to customer service. I mean, taking care of that customer, like like we mentioned just a little bit ago, that you know, getting that vehicle back, getting it repaired, getting it back to the customer, and taking care of the customer in, in the process. So... Uh, like you said, I mean, you're, you're looking at adding a tech. So how's that search going? It's been tough. Um, we've been looking now, uh, extensively for two months or a little longer. Um, and historically speaking, I'd say this is probably, you know, kind of more the beginning of it. Uh, it's, it's always taken a while to, to find the right individual. 
Um, there's just a, a really big shortage of qualified technicians. Uh, every uh, it seems like every other shop owner or dealership manager that I speak to is looking for a good qualified technician. There's just there's much many more jobs than there are technicians to go around. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's one of the things that uh, and we're going to talk about it here during the podcast, but are you are you looking at finding a technician that is new to the industry? Uh, you know, growing your own, you might say, or are you looking at a, looking for a seasoned technician? Well, we've done both. Um and and right now we have um both of those positions in the shop. Uh, right now, we're just looking for a seasoned technician uh, because uh, we only have so much capacity for uh, you know a technician that we're or that we're trying to grow and, and train and that kind of thing. And there's only so many of us you know to go around to to help with that. Uh, we are doing that though. Um, so yeah, probably more of a of a, a seasoned technician that can kind of hit the ground running right now. And what, uh, in your opinion, as a shop owner, I mean, ten years, obviously, uh, you're a successful shop owner, being in business ten years, having a, an outstanding facility that you have. What value does a trained technician bring to this industry? Well, a, a trained technician is what makes a, a repair or a big part of what makes a repair facility successful. You know, there's a lot of other things that go into place. Um, but without qualified technicians, you don't have a successful repair facility, whether that's, you know, the dealership or an independent, um, it's just that simple. And, you know, and we, we've kind of mentioned it, um, but, and I've been in the industry a long time and, and you, you have too. I mean, and probably if I was to guess, you heard rumors of a technician shortage 10 years ago. Yeah, you know, there's always been some mention of that, um, but I don't think it's been to the nearly the extent that it is now and will be in the near future. Um, and, and that seems to be the general consensus from the people that I talk to as well that are looking and have been in the business for much longer than I have. Uh, it's always been a little bit of an issue to find, you know, everybody's looking for that, you know, really good technician, that next really good one that can diagnose all the problems and um you know and that's uh productive and um and then it has all the basic attributes that you want in an employee that you know that shows up on time and um and and everything else has a good attitude but uh here recently it's just gotten to where i think we've lost um a lot of uh good technicians or just um uh, from re- some technicians are just at retirement age and they're getting out of the business, so uh, there just hasn't been as many uh, new ones to to come in to to replace them. So, do you think uh, you think that's a possible reason for the shortage? Is just attrition due to retirement, or uh, you know, is is there just fewer people getting into the industry or staying yeah, in think, the industry? I think both. Um, to the point about attrition, I don't have the exact uh, numbers, but I'd, I'd heard uh, not too long ago that uh, Ford uh, stated that as being a, a big concern of theirs uh, for not having enough technicians for their dealerships, uh, that a lot of their technicians were either at retirement age or will be really soon. Um, and and, I, and I've heard that quite a bit from uh, other organizations as well. Um, but 
you know, the, the reasons or the things I think that have caused uh, the shortage is a couple things. Uh, there haven't been enough young people getting into the industry. Uh, I think that this is due uh, largely to the fact that the, the job of an automotive technician is misunderstood uh, by the you know, by everyone. Uh, it's, it's viewed as only dirty work, low to average pay, uh, only requiring some skills that can be quickly learned by any willing student. Uh, that's not always the case. It, it takes um, the right person to, to become a successful um, automotive technician. Um, there's, there's certainly more um, students out there um, are, are willing, able students that that could be good automotive technicians than there are. Um, but the, and the, the other thing, I guess, is the industry hasn't done a good job of retaining technicians. Uh, most techs will either end up in a dealership or an independent shop, and at both types of shops, the decisions are usually made by either owners or upper management who are trying to run a profitable, profitable business and are looking at the numbers, which they should be. Um, but I think what they miss is um, they, they don't really put enough value on the technicians uh, oftentimes. And this isn't all. Uh, all dealers are all independent shops. It's just some uh, that are that are that could do a little more. Um, they may not be paying enough. Um, and like I said, it, it's not that's not the, the norm or the. Um, I don't want to deter anybody away from the business because there is uh, really good opportunities for uh, a qualified technician. I think we'll talk about that later. I'm sure we'll touch on it. Um, or they're maybe they're not providing the same benefits or as good of benefits that other industries offer. Uh, therefore, the tech will leave the industry to go where they're getting compensated better. Uh, I've seen plenty of technicians, good technicians, leave uh, either dealer or an independent and go to uh, either a maintenance facility, um, working on a fleet of vehicles just because of, you know, uh, being able to get health insurance and retirement and that kind of package, um, or just getting out of the business altogether to go to a a factory or production type atmosphere where they where they get that compensation package uh, that's uh, a little more enticing to them, um, and then they also don't have you know systems in place to grow their technicians. Uh, many owners and managers are interested in, in training their techs, other than sending them to um, night or Saturday type classes put on by parts suppliers, and that's that's kind of the extent of the training. Whereas I think it's important that a lot of training is done in-house and they have some kind of um, structure in place for, for the for the technician to, to go from an entry-level technician to a successful, uh, you know, what we call an A-level tech. So there's, there's lots of things that I think those are all contributing things to the shortage, contributing factors to the technician shortage. There's probably more, but those are the big ones that I've, that I've seen. Yeah, and one of the things you said there to last is, you know, and I've seen it in several successful shops. Uh, you know, they would take a lot of the time one lunch hour out of the week, and the the owner would have some type of video training or you know even possibly a distribution channel bringing in some someone for a quick training session, and they would just they would close the shop down for an hour hour and a half the owner would buy the buy them lunch and, and they would do some training so and a lot of those what i found was a lot of those facilities that done that 
they didn't have a lot of trouble keeping the techs that they had. You know, they were willing to stay because the, they could clearly see that the owner was putting some some value in them. You know, and you mentioned the OE dealership. I recently read an article where uh, Mopar, their CAP program, which is the program that Mopar has, or Chrysler, um, has in the community colleges, they currently have 80 facilities across the nation that are in the CAP program. And of those 80 facilities, there's 4,000 students. Now, they're not all graduating, you know, they're not graduating 4,000 a year, um, so probably roughly half of that. And Mopar is predicting that they will need 15,000 technicians within the next five years. So those numbers just don't, you know, they don't go together. And, and it's and I've got some information from Toyota. Uh, they have a program, the T10 program, which is very similar. Uh, and, and their numbers are real close to the same. So there's, you're right, we're getting to that point where it's a critical mass and we've got some older techs that are looking at retirement. So with those things, how long, how many techs do you have there at your facility? We have four currently. Okay. How long, how long roughly have they been with you, if you don't mind telling? Uh, to the average, we, we have still what I would consider a, a newer team, um, probably Roughly about three years, maybe. Okay. What do you see? Uh, I mean, how do we as an industry help help solve this problem, this problem of shortage of technicians? Well, I think it's going to be solved uh, because it's a matter of supply and demand. Um, I'm seeing the wages and compensation packages getting much better recently, and I think that will continue. And uh, I think that should be very encouraging for anybody considering getting into the program or, you know, currently as a student. Um, right now, there, there are many shops that are struggling to get all the work done because they're unable to find more qualified techs. Uh, right now, we're kind of limited to what we're doing. We're, we've cut back on marketing and advertising. Um, we, we've found proven ways to get more cars through the doors, but we're not utilizing those because we can't get the work done. Uh, so that, that, you know, that will we know that will backfire on us and our customer satisfaction will go down uh, just by simply getting more cars to the door. We're, we're kind of at capacity. And, and I think that's um, that's the, true for a lot of shops and a lot of places. I, I think at, at some point, though, um, they're either going to have to realize that they have to pay their techs better um, or they're not going to make it. Uh, I, I, I see, still see that at a lot of uh, shops. They're, they're only able to find the less skilled technicians because the, the good ones have found a home where they can make a really good wage with a good, with good benefits. Um, and, uh, I think that there are going to be fewer choices for the motoring public to take their vehicles. Um, I know that the, the number of shops, um, especially in, well, dealerships and independent shops have, have, has declined in recent years. Um, my Jasper sales rep had recently told me that um, in the last, I think he said the last three years, uh, he was calling on 350 shops and he's down to 220. Um, so there, I think the smaller shops, um, uh, the, the independent shops, are, the ones that make it, the ones that are still here are getting larger and the smaller ones are going away. Um, but Back to the question on how how the shortage is is, is being solved. Uh, I think that there will be more value uh, placed on good shops and good technicians, and hopefully the public perception of what an automotive technician is will start to resemble 
what a successful tech in 2017 here really looks like. And I think when the uh, awareness of that changes and the at the same time the labor rates are going to have to go up, uh, the technician wages are going to go up because they're going to be in demand. And, um, and I think that's it's as simple as supply and demand that they're going to be needed so badly that uh, the competition to to get them is going to be fierce and, and they're going to get paid really well. The, the good ones will. Um, I think there's going to be a big spread between the technician that can do drivability and electrical and advanced diagnostic, the challenging problems, uh, to the technician that just does tires and ball joints and uh, brakes and the lower skill level work. Um, the, the pay spread is going to be much greater. Uh, I think that's that's probably, and there's just going to continue to, to be a need for that technician that can, you know, that's kept up with the technology and that can solve those hard problems. I completely agree with you on the supply and demand. Uh, in fact, last month I seen a survey that over the last five years, and this was just on independent shops, over the last five years, the average there's been an average of 1,000 shop closures per year for the last five years, which would figure right into what your your Jasper Engines rep stated. Right. Uh, you know, uh, to think that there's a thousand shops every year closing their doors, independence, and you know, all this coming together, a shortage of technicians. How important is it to educate our customers on how valuable or what the job is, what what an automotive technician does? It's a uh, it's very important to, to educate them. I guess the the question becomes is you know how do we do that? Yeah, I you know and and that's something I've I've posed to uh, being a member of of several organizations ASA and AASA and then the Auto Care Association. You know uh, these associations and then ASE I think should be grouped in with that too. Why are we not educating the motoring public on on the level a technician has to be at? to be successful and, and to repair a vehicle uh, the first time and the right time, you know, right the first time. Uh, right. So, I, yeah. Yep. It's a very, it's a, it's a complex matter um, that, that takes, in my opinion, it takes a lot of time to explain it well, you know, for them to really, to really get it. I think that's part of the problem there is uh, that it, there's not a quick explanation to really, you know, be able to explain the, the in detail uh, which is needed to 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 the extent of what a, a technician has to do to successfully repair a vehicle, you know, the the, the right way the first time, like you mentioned, um, that it's hard to do. Do you think that? Uh, I mean, it would only be, in my opinion, a benefit. But how would or could could dis- you know parts distribution chains and manufacturing, you know, aftermarket manufacturers, could they be a part of, of helping to educate the customer, the, the vehicle owner? Well, we have a, a parts distributor here locally um, through Napa, and they do a really good job of that. So I think that there's more of that going on than there ever has been as far as what I've seen in my, um, you know, short career uh, in the industry. Um, I don't know what it used to be like 30 years ago. But so I believe we are doing some of that. Um, I believe a, a lot of the other parts distributors need to, you know, jump on that and, and do it as well. There's not enough of them that are doing it. Um, but, you know, our 
the distributor I'm speaking of, they put on their own training. Uh, they promote training. They uh, not only technical training, but also, you know, management training, uh, customer service type training for service advisors. And so I think, I think that's, you know, that's a, something they can do. I don't know what else they would do. Um, as far as the manufacturers, of course, they, if it becomes important enough to them, you know, they have means, um, that, you know, that nobody else does, uh, as far as, you know, nationally and, and promotions programs that they could do. I don't know if they will ever get to that or not. Um, it, if, you know, like the statistics you're mentioning from Chrysler, it sounds like that it may get to where that, that is something they would consider putting, you know, enough, uh, uh, energy or money towards to to make it one of their initiatives yeah um you know and so we've talked about you know the shortage and and some of the things that's causing some solutions that we see that that would be a, a positive step so if you've got i mean if you're talking to a room full of technicians and and that's one thing that i always suggest or promote is you know technicians n- Future technicians need to hear from current technicians, uh, positive shop leaders uh, and owners. So if you've got this group of technicians you have the opportunity to speak to, where would you direct them to focus their skills on? Well, first, I think that depends on what areas they want to focus on. Um, if they want to just be a, a well-versed technician, um, then you know, electrical is a requirement. Uh, it's a necessity no matter what you work on, what you do. If you're going to be an automotive technician, it's used in most all systems of the vehicle now. I don't think that's a secret to anybody. Um, but, you know, like here at, at our shop, we have a technician um, that really likes drivability and challenging problems, as as I do myself. And uh, so he focuses a lot of his time on advanced testing techniques, such as using uh, a digital storage oscilloscope with a uh, some uh, accessories like an insulin or pressure transducer, and he will use that to find problems that he can find with more conventional means. Um, but as he betters his skills with this, he finds them more accurately and faster. They'll even use it for things like finding valve timing problems, uh, a valve sealing problem, uh, even checking ignition timing uh, can be done with that four-channel scope with uh, using the right accessories. So. Um, but those things usually come later. I guess, you know, a, a future technician uh, needs to focus on understanding the principles of, of operation and, and knowing them very well. You just really need a good base, you know, to get started with. Everything builds upon that. So they need to really take uh, their education uh, wherever they're at, whether if it's at an old cool community college, they need to try to get as much as they can out of that. Uh, it's easy to, to sit in the classroom, and I can speak from experience that, and, and pass if, if you're a good test taker. But um, the technician that's got a passion for what he's doing, which, I, you know, hopefully we, we see more of them, they're the ones that read the book because they want to, not because they, you know, want to just want to make a good grade. Uh, they have a strong desire to, to learn those systems and know them because they like to, to fix cars and they want to be able to, uh, you know, possess that ability to, to be able to uh, fix cars. Uh, they need to know all the systems, um, and they don't need to focus on subtle differences between, you know, like a GM and a Chrysler evaporative emission system. They just need to know what the purpose of that evaporative emission system is and what the main components are, because the the components um, are generally the same from vehicle to vehicle with with subtle differences. So the 
just I think focusing on uh, not knowing what they want to do, how far they want to go, uh, what what kind of technician they want to become, and then um, and then just you know pushing uh, themselves to to learn as much as they can, not only in the classroom but if they have a job, you know if, if they're working in a shop. Uh, a lot of your best experience just comes from your own education, from teaching yourself. When you're looking up a problem, uh, when you're working on a vehicle and you're reading service information, don't just try to, to read the section that you're on and, and find that answer as quick as you can and move on to the next vehicle. You need to really study the system, um, and that's going to pay off big dividends later, you know, whenever you're working on that the next time. And, um, and so a lot of that is just teaching yourself and educating yourself, maybe even spending, you know, committing some time after hours to learn some uh, different tools and equipment and software and, and that kind of thing that you haven't used before. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, it's interesting you talked about digital storage oscilloscope. And I was going locally here to some repair shops, and, and they're not your competition, but you would know who they are if I was to name them. I mean, I'm not going to, but some established and well-established repair facilities. And, and the first three shops that we went in, and, and the class that we were promoting, um, in fact, it's actually tonight, or tomorrow night, pardon me, was uh, using a DSO to speed up your diagnosis on fuel systems. And one of the first shops I walked into, I told the lady at the counter, and she was the owner's daughter. And she said, no, no, we, we don't have an oscilloscope, and, and we really don't want one. We we try teaching our new techs the old ways to diagnose. And I was just, I was caught off guard. Um you know, uh, and I know uh, just in the time talking with you and, and I'm sure your shop would never have that response, but it concerned me that the entire industry was some, a portion of that industry of the industry was thought of it that way. And, uh, you know, I spoke to some other people and they were like, yeah, that's, uh, we hear that occasionally at different locations. So, you know, being able to take the new skills, I mean, I'm not, I think it's still important to know how to set a set of points. Uh, in fact, in my part of the world, and, and I'm sure in yours, uh, being in a rural community, you still have vehicles with points and condenser. Uh, you know, I think it's important to know the basics of that and how to work on it and how to set the points gap. But we also need to know, because these vehicles change every day, and we need to know the, the more modern ways to diagnose. And uh, I, I would enjoy to be around your tech because he does a uh, in-cylinder pressure diagnosis. So that's... Uh, I've always uh, not had the opportunity to do that a lot, so yeah. Yeah, and Richard, to your point earlier um, with the lady that you spoke of, I, I think that goes with what I was mentioning earlier with just a lack of understanding even within our industry. That that lady works, you know, at the service desk and doesn't understand how that tool is used. Um, obviously, the technicians in the shop either don't understand the benefit of it or are unwilling to make the commitment to to learn it, or the owner is unwilling to buy it. One that you know, and so with, I can name some problems uh, with with cars situations um, that you can't really fix without a scope. Um, you, you may get there after you eliminate a few other things, but to accurately pinpoint a problem, there are there are a few things that there's just no um, there's no replacement or substitution for that test or that tool. And and that's one of the things kind of getting off on a side note here, but that's one of the things I enjoy about a lab scope. I never want to replace a component on a customer's vehicle unless I know for sure it's failed. And uh, you know 
the lab scope to me just helps you prove to yourself uh, and, and it gives you the ability to prove it to the customer also if you can explain it and understand it. Um, what is going on? What's happening? What's failed about that component? Uh, I think that just gives, and, and that type of information is something I think that the vehicle owner needs to know, needs to have to understand what our job entails now. Right. And if you can take a, a screenshot of that uh, scope capture and email it to them, to, to the customer that, that has any interest at all in seeing that. A lot of customers don't, don't you know, are not concerned with the technical side, nor they, should they be. They just want to know how much and, you know, and when, when it's going to be done. But to the, to the customer that maybe has some questions or is not sure you haven't established a relationship with, if you can show them what you're doing and if they, you know, trust you at all, they're going to be sold whenever you can show them, uh, you know, that, that kind of advanced testing. They're going to, they're going to see the value of what you're doing and you won't have nearly as hard of a time explaining why it costs X amount of dollars to determine the problem with the car. Um, that it's not as simple as just plugging something in under the dash and, and, you know, reading the problem. So, yeah. And, and that's, I, I'll, I'll never forget. I've done quite a bit of training for a, a fuel pump manufacturer in the past. And I, and I was talking about using a DSO five, six, eight years ago. And, and I had a customer from probably four or five years ago that I had the opportunity to meet back up with a year ago. And, and he said, you know, he said, when you taught about DSO, uh, I thought you, uh, I didn't think it was needed. I didn't think it was useful. He said, but we, we had one. And he said, I've occasionally captured a pattern of a, of a fuel pump. And he said, I had a customer the other day that was one of those customers that doubt what you do, but they still trust you to work on their vehicle. And I said, yeah, I understand that type of customer. He said, you know, he said, I took a capture of, of their fuel pump with the old one. And then a new capture with the new one. And he said, I was able to explain the differences. And he said, you know, he said, it was just like you turned a light on in that customer's mind of, of my ability to be able to work on his vehicle. So yeah, being able to have that, that's, that's a great tool and very important, very important. So, and don't get me wrong. It's a, it's a, it, it can be a tough learning curve to learn something like that. It does take a, a time commitment. Um, it, Early my, my early years of using the scope were uh, somewhat frustrating at times. Um, uh, at the same time, you know, at, at the dealership that I came from, nobody used that, that scope, and that that's typical of a dealership. That's just kind of a dip, different um, atmosphere as far as the nature of their their problems and um, and how they they go about repairing them. More pattern failures than anything, but uh, anyway, they, uh, they it can be tough to to learn the problem especially when you're trying to uh either in my case i was you know have a lot a huge customer base that i'm trying to serve and take care of and i didn't have enough space or enough help to, to get it done so trying to learn that in the midst of all that can be very time consuming um and as it, it would, the same would apply to a, a technician that's you know being paid by the uh, by commission uh, he, he may not want to spend a whole lot of time you know investing in that um but once you do make the the commitment, then like I said earlier, it does pay off uh, big time. Yeah, and and that's I mean uh, I hope I hope there's never a day that I say that I know everything there is to know about operating a lab scope and diagnosing an automotive application because every time I touch one. It seems like I find a new way to use it or a new direction to, to use it in. So yeah, it's and that's part of what I enjoy about the industry. So. How do we, and, and when I say 
the industry? How do we as the industry, and, and you're the industry, I'm the industry, everyone that's listening to this podcast is part of the industry. How do we work together some ideas of, of recruiting those quality future techs or, or employees? Well, I just, you know, I think the, the kind of thing that we're doing right now, just, just talking about it and, um, and, and putting the word out and just educating as many people as we can. Um, I, I think it's gotten better. Like I said, I think we're, we're doing more of that. It's just, unfortunately, it might be too little too late. Um, the, the shortage is, is, is getting bigger and, um, and the, the need has just gotten greater, but, um, but, It'd be interesting to see, you know, what happens in, in five to ten years from now. It is an inter- interesting time in this industry. It is. It definitely is. And, and that's one of the things, uh, when I have the opportunity to speak in front of college students or future technicians, um, I always want them to know that they don't have to be a technician in this industry. There are so many positions that they can they can fill. And what's your opinion on that? Yeah, there's, you know, besides the automotive technician, of course, you have uh, service advisors, service managers um, that are either in a, a management position or a customer relations type representative. Uh, then you also have uh, parts personnel. Um, in a dealership, there's lots of different positions. Uh, usually those three are the uh, top wage earners, um, and they're the um, all, all good Good jobs, uh, well-paying. Um, a service advisor has a unique; it requires a unique skill set, just like a technician. Um, they must be able to communicate and connect well with people. Uh, a good service advisor knows what the customer wants, besides just getting their car fixed. Uh, there's there's more to it than that. A lot of times, customers will need uh, advice and guidance on how to proceed. They may maybe prior how to prioritize what needs to be fixed immediately and what can wait and um, what's just kind of optional. Um, uh, but a good service advisor will is, is a good fact finder. Uh, he can ask the customer specific questions on, uh, knows which questions to ask about when the uh, car fails, how it fails, under what conditions, and gets a lot of good information from the technician. The technician, after they look at it, of course, is going to, um, make a determination what's wrong, and then they have to explain that back to the customer uh, to some extent, uh, be able to write an estimate, be able to look up the, uh, the labor and uh, parts required and materials and put it all together and and um, and then earn the customer's trust. Uh, that's a, So it requires a lot of, that's a, it's a complex job as well, and um, but there are some, some really good advisors um, in the industry and and the ones that that are good usually uh, have those those traits. But um, a, a parts person, you know, they they also obviously have to have an in-depth knowledge of the the vehicle that they're servicing. So that's generally obviously found in a dealership type atmosphere. So it's usually limited to uh, one or a few makes. Um, but it, that also takes experience and a working knowledge of all the systems of a vehicle. And, and I've always said, I mean, and I, I kind of attribute it to, I, I'm fortunate enough to be a captain on a volunteer fire department. And, and when we get a new recruit, the, you know, the, gl- the glory position is at the end of that nozzle and, and spraying the water on the fire. And, and, I, and I always tell them, I said, you know, I said that, that position's no good without somebody bringing you water, somebody controlling the pressure. And it's very similar to the automotive industry. You know, the technician does some amazing stuff. 
But if the service advisor just writes car won't start and doesn't go any further than that, or if the technician needs a part and orders a part and the parts counter gets him the wrong part repeatedly, uh, you know, they all have to work together to be a smooth operation and, and, and all carry their own skill set. So it's very important to, and I think that's part of, um, Part of the problem we have as an industry, we don't, we don't promote ourselves very well as far as the other positions that are available. True. Yeah, there's not a lot of, there's, there's limited mention of an automotive technician um, in, as you're, when you're in high school and, and kind of growing up, and there's even less mention of the other positions. Yeah. So I recently, I was fortunate enough to uh, listen to a keynote speaker that um, was with with a distribution chain and and he he stated in his facts and I I don't know where his facts come from but he stated that 60 percent of the young technicians that enter the industry 60 percent of them will leave the industry after the first year and then some uh, according to some instructors that I know they'll tell me that somewhere between 30 and 35 percent of their students won't even enter the industry after graduation. Uh, what are you, you got any opinions on why that would happen? Well, first of all, I think that's, that seems to be fairly consistent with what I've noticed, uh, just locally with different people that I know that have been through the program and just different students. We've had a couple of interns here. And, um, uh, my opinion is I think at some point, a lot of students realize that the job of an automotive technician is different than what they expected. Um, I believe that some leave the industry shortly after starting a job, uh, when they when they realize that it's not what they expected, oftentimes they leave when they're hired to repair cars and they're just uh, changing oil and tires. And some of that might be on them, but you know, some of it also might be on the, the the place that they're at or the management that they're under. I think it's important for applicants to ask specifically what their job responsibilities will be uh, and what their progression of their position as a technician looks like, you know, is there any training in place? What kind of training do they offer? Um, you know, if, if I'm going to start out as changing oil and being a lube tech, um, as my potential employer, you know, what are, what, what's my potential there? What, how do you see that evolving or progressing in six months, a year, two years, or what's, you know, so, I would ask questions like that because I think there's too many times that um, that when they get into the business, they're not fixing cars, they're not getting that satisfaction, and they're not they're unwilling to make the commitment to hang in there until they can uh, get the the type of, of vehicles or the type of cars uh, problems that they're looking for. Along with that, the wages come. You know, the wages are going to be lower doing the the light duty maintenance. Uh, versus the the other stuff. So when they, I, I see so many applicants that come to me that are stuck in that position, and they get pretty discouraged, and rightfully so. Um, but um, that's where a lot of the the commitment on their own would pay off. You know that they could they could get uh, it, it. Most managers that I know and shop owners will see that determination, that desire, and um, and their. Uh, willingness to uh, further themselves and advance their their career. So if they could make that commitment and not just sit back and wait for it to happen, um, you know that's that's kind of what they need to do. Um, but 
there needs to be a little bit of diligence on the front end for them to ask questions and, and make sure that they're getting what they expected, and then they need to do their part as well. Um, but I think there are a lot of opportunities if it's done right. I would wholeheartedly agree with that statement. So, Nick, we, we've discussed quite a bit of things, and I sincerely enjoyed the conversation. And you bring out some great points, and I hope the listeners hear that. But if I was to, to commission you to, to give a keynote speech to a room full of 500 industry leaders, uh, shop owners, technicians, uh, manufacturing, distribution, where do you see the future of this industry going? What would you tell them? Well, I think that we're going to see continue to see the number of shops decrease, um, but the, the ones that remain will become larger um, or will be the larger shops. Uh, the it's it, the days of just having one, two, uh, three man operations are getting uh, further behind us. It's just the the overhead, the OE tools and, and equipment that's required, and um, just the proliferation of everything has made that really hard to do. Uh, so I think that's one. Uh, I think the cost of auto repair is, has to come up, and it's going to come up at a more rapid rate. Uh, than it has in the past. Uh, I think the shortage of techs and the increase in technology um, will be the motivators behind that. Uh, We know that with CAFE requirements, uh, the automakers are working really hard to meet the stringent fuel requirements. And I'm told this is being accomplished by a lot of lightweight components. Um, So technically, I guess on vehicles, we're going to see you know, a lot of, lot more lighter, lightweight components, smaller displacement, displacement engines with turbochargers, tight ratio transmissions, uh, six and eight speeds, and they're more common now. So a lot of these things really aren't in the future, but they're already here as far as the, uh, the vehicle, uh, advancements that I've just mentioned. But, um, other than that, I, I don't really know. Uh, like I said, it's going to be interesting to see how everything, um, plays out, but I, I do think that, uh, that the cost is going to go up, um, and I'm not just saying that because I'm a biased repair order or repair shop owner. Um, I, I think that that's just going to be a byproduct of the the supply and demand of the short of the shortage of the technicians. Uh, and, and I guess I want to ask a question. It's kind of a I'm careful about asking the question to some shop owners, but along with the changes that we are, we're looking at and, and all the changes you mentioned, is is flat rate pay for a technician, is that something that's going to have to be reevaluated by shops? It might be if um, if the government is involved. Um, but as far as is it going to have to be, what what is your question as far as uh, – where was your question coming from there, I guess? Well, I mean, is – because I think – Going back to our discussion, and I should have mentioned it then, but you know, we talk about things that stop the tech uh, student from staying in the industry, and, and and I hear it quite a bit is flat rate. They're not used to working with flat rate. Um, you know, their their way of compensation. I, I mean, I I have a positive belief in flat rate and and a negative belief. Uh, I think it has its place. But for a young technician entering the industry, I'm not sure that that's the best way to pay him. I, I believe it is definitely not the best way to pay a, a technician that's entering the industry. Uh, they need to be paid for their time to learn, and the emphasis needs to be placed on uh, them learning and not producing, uh, not just not producing. And, and that's the way we do it here: is uh, the technicians that 
that are still, you know, even the, several years into it, they, they can turn a fair number of hours. I don't want their focus to be on just turning that job out the door because they're not going to do what I mentioned earlier by, by taking the time to uh, read that service information and study systems to, to know them better. Um, now, having said that, the the best technicians that have came to me when I ask, I ask every applicant, how do you prefer to be paid? And I ask that because I, I, it tells me a lot when they, when they tell me they prefer to be paid commission, I know they're very confident and they're they're able to produce um, you know a, a high number of hours, billable hours because they have done so in the past or they wouldn't be telling me that. Um, when a technician that's, that's been in the business for 15, 20 years tells me that he hates flat rate and only is willing to be paid hourly, I have to ask some questions. Um, you know, there should be ample time to become proficient at a lot of the jobs that I'm, you know, asking them to do if they've came from a similar facility. Uh, so I think that just like you said, commission has its place. Um, I get on IATN.net quite a bit and read the shop management forum, and that uh, discussion it has been beat to death for years. Um, there's people that have strong opinions on both sides. Uh, I, I think that uh, it, it can work with the right individuals, um, but and it, it can also be something you know bad for the wrong individuals. So it does have its place. Yeah, and. and- I guess I'm fortunate in the fact that I've, I've seen both sides or experienced personally both sides of the young technician. At one time, I, I was a young technician. And then, then you have those years that you can you can turn the hours, you can turn the billable hours, and then the concrete and the bending and the, your body starts to, starts to slow down on you physically. And being able to turn those hours then at, at an older age uh, gets a little tougher. So that's, I mean, and you know, as an older technician, that's one of the things that, uh, you know, I couldn't go out and turn the hours I used to. But those older technicians carry a lot of knowledge with them that I think is very valuable. And there's, yeah, so the, at, at that time, uh, and we've done this in, uh, as well, um, we had a, a gentleman that had that same situation. He had a lot of knowledge, um, a lot of experience, but had some uh, physical issues that kept him from being able to turn as many hours as he once did. So, uh, but he was still had a, had a, a very valuable position in our business where he kind of oversaw or overseen some of the younger technicians. He would train them on jobs and he would uh, um, also write tickets. He would help diagnose some of the more complex problems. And, um, and so there's, there's still opportunities for that technician, I would hate to think that once we get through with a, an older technician, they're physically unable to do what they want, once were. We we just discard them. So as an industry, we got to um, we're not going to be able to retain or uh, recruit technicians if if people think that that's you know the way we treat them. So we have to to make some accommodations for those that have you know put given us many years of service. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that statement. So we, we've talked about the industry. We've talked about some some great points. I, I appreciate your time, and I know you're busy. Busy shop, but I just got a couple more questions. And, and one of them has to do, do, do you have any hobbies other than the automotive industry? Well, not not really too many. Um, I like to spend some time with my family. I've got two younger children. Um, I do a little bit of fishing, deer hunting, um, but... Most of my uh, my auto repair business takes a lot of my time, 
and um, it's kind of a hobby along with my job. So it, it's my passion, and I don't need a lot of other hobbies, I guess. <laughs> well, uh, my experience with successful shop owners, uh, they they don't have much time for many more ho- many hobbies other than automotive. So, so if you had, I mean, at home, and and you had an open garage bay that didn't have anything parked in it what would you want parked in it what would be your ideal vehicle to have well i like all kinds of vehicles um i like older classic cars like newer cars uh, muscle cars jeeps four by fours but um and i and i'm not real partial to to one manufacturer uh but if i if i could pick one uh, i would probably either be uh, an early 80s Chevy pickup like I had in high school. I had a, a K1500, and um, I just have a lot of good memories of that truck. That was kind of like the equivalent, I guess, to some of the older gentlemen that had classic cars. I had a you know, 69 Camaro in high school. I had an 84 Chevy when I was in high school, and I really liked that truck. I'd probably get another one of those and maybe put a, a late model uh, powertrain in it. The performance of late model powertrains has really progressed in recent years, and I think it'd be fun to to build something like that. So that, that probably will be my my next project, actually. <laughs> well, having that, uh, yeah, that would be a fun combination, absolutely. So for the listeners, and 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 like I said, I mean, uh, you've you've brought a lot of interesting topics and a, and a lot of thought provoking information to to the podcast and I, and I thank you for that i thank you for taking some time out of your busy schedule today bringing that to us uh, i know mondays can be a little hectic uh at a repair shop so i thank you for carving out a time for us but for the listeners what what's your closing thoughts to them well i just appreciate you uh, inviting me on the program um like i mentioned this this business i'm committed to and it's my passion um if anybody has any feedback or questions from me uh, my contact information can be found on our website at uh, bartonautomotive.com. Uh, but I just really appreciate the opportunity for, for you to talk to me and so I can share some of my ideas and thoughts. Well, I appreciate that, Nick. And, and I'm sure we'll be talking in the future. Uh, I talked to a shop owner today that, you know, when I talked about innovative shops and, and the importance of being an innovative shop, your shop was the first one he mentioned. So, uh, so yeah, I, I know that you're in the industry and your passion is with the industry, and, and I thank you for that. And, and the local industry should thank you for that, too. So I appreciate that. Nick, again, I appreciate it, and uh, look forward to talking in the future. Okay. Sounds good, Richard. All right. Thanks. All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Technician Academy podcast brought to you by Extend Performance. Don't forget to visit us online at technician.academy. We are also on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Technician.academy, built to educate.